Hi guys, welcome to the podcast, The Trailblazer's Journey. The place to be if you are curious about life and the world in which we live today and are passionate about personal growth and self-development. I'm your host, Simon Majid, well-being and transformational life coach, speaker and mental health advocate. Today's guest is Alex Smith, founder of The Cares Family. The Cares Family is a group of community organisations which connects older people with newly arriving young people into big cities. Since 2011, the Cares Family have been bringing together individuals whose paths would otherwise not have crossed. Through interacting and hanging out in shared spaces, they are able to see the human in each other and be the human with each other, which I absolutely love. Alex is also a fellow of the Obama Foundation and we will hear how the foundation has impacted and supported his work with the Cares family. If you enjoy this episode, guys, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Um, I'm Alex, Alex Smith, and I founded the Cares family in 2011. Um, we're a group of community organisations, uh, North London Cares, South London Cares, Manchester Cares, Liverpool Cares and the New East London Cares. Um, and we connect um, older people who often have deep roots in their communities, but fewer connections as the world is changing around us very quickly. And we connect them with um, arriving young people in big cities who often have hundreds of connections in the social media age, but fewer roots in their communities. Um, and we do that to reduce loneliness and build community across generational divides um, and in the context of polarization across kind of social and attitudinal and cultural and digital divides. Um, we try and create connection in what we think is quite a disconnected age. Amazing. And actually, actually, one thing I heard you say was arriving young people. So people who are newly arrived in London, is that right? Well, not just London, Manchester. And oh, Liverpool. yeah. In those... Um, yeah, that is often the case. Um, I, I think our big cities are amazing. They're full yeah. of people from all over the world. They're full of cultural opportunities, diversity, economic opportunities, universities, theatres, communities. Um, but because they're changing so quickly, particularly in the context of globalization and gentrification and digitization um, and what's happening in the kind of housing market, um, those same cities which can provide so much richness can actually also be lonely and isolating, isolating yeah. anonymous. Um, so we're trying to bring people together who wouldn't normally interact or find ways to interact because our kind of social infrastructure is changing yeah. um, and because our associations with one another and community groups are fraying. Um, so we try and create uh, or, or, or harness some of the spaces that are out there in the community, which might be community centers or faith groups or businesses like brunch places and pubs and libraries and all sorts of different places and we try and uh, create content that is attractive both to older people who many people are many people know are at risk of loneliness and isolation and we connect them with younger people who many uh, others assume are well connected in this world but actually are experiencing that same sense of dislocation mm -hmm. especially if they've arrived in that place expecting this kind of vibrant scene yeah um, the apps and whatsapp and tinder and how they're working and how they've got their headphones in their ears and how they're commuting to jobs to hang out with other people who in many ways are just like them actually uh, particularly other young professional people 
um, we try and bring those two groups together, not only to create agency within community, but also specifically, I guess, to connect the past to the present to the future so that everybody can feel part of a changing city and a changing world rather than left behind by it. Incredible. I absolutely love that. So Alex, tell us, tell us how it came about. Ooh, well, there's a long answer and there's a short answer. <laughs> okay, you can you. choose. <laughs> um, well, I guess it is worth saying that in my kind of early and mid-20s, I worked in lots of places in the community that I was born and raised in in North London. Um, I worked in a record shop and a pub and a school and a travel agent. Um, and all of those places are places where people do have community mm-hmm. uh, or they come to experience communities. So obviously, there's the school gate. There's a pub where people get together with others. Um, a travel agent is a place that people go to to book um, a visit to a relative around the world or a meaningful family holiday or a um, trip to go to a wedding or a funeral. So that's more meaningful than sometimes people give it credit for. Um, and so I guess I had this kind of communitarian mentality seeping into my philosophy and my worldview, um, yeah. which I wasn't that conscious of in my early mid twenties. And then I thought that the way to build community was through organized politics, party politics. Um, and in 2010, I was a council candidate in the area in which I grew up. Um, and uh we get onto the short answer here um on election day in 2010 i was knocking on doors trying to get people to come out and vote and behind one of those doors i met an octogenarian man uh, who was quite frail his name was fred um and i asked him if he wanted to come out and vote and he said yeah, i'd love to come out and vote um, i've never missed an election in my whole life mm. but i can't today because i haven't been out of my house for three months i haven't really seen or spoken to anybody apart from my carer for three months so not today Uh, I'm sorry but there was a wheelchair behind Fred and since I was kind of drumming up votes for myself I I (laughs) suggested that if he was comfortable um, I'd wheel him down the road because one vote matters right so uh, oh wow yeah (laughs) that's impressive (laughs) yeah and and so I did and while we were out uh, Fred kind of became animated in a way that he hadn't been on doorstep he was waving to neighbors he was smiling and he was he seemed happy um he was uh, he was kind of telling me stories about the past and he did that they say when i dropped him off back at home <clears throat> that um he really needed a haircut because he felt in those three months his hair had gotten long and got greasy and he felt he'd lost his dignity so the next day i went back and escorted fred again in his wheelchair down the road to a local barber shop wow. and, and while he was in the barber's chair he told me his life story um he told me that he um, had performed all over the world on cruise ships, singing and in cabaret shows. Wow. He played Palladium. He loved Sinatra and the Rat Pack, just like I did, still do. Um, and the thing that really struck me was that he'd set up and run the shop that was my favourite place growing up in Camden Town when I was a kid, um, Escapade, which was a fancy dress shop. Okay. So we had things in common. Um, and we'd probably met before when I was about five years old, um, although I didn't remember him and he certainly didn't remember me. Um, <laughs> And anyway, it kind of struck me um, that there must be a lot of people like Fred, uh, isolated and behind closed doors, don't speak to anybody very much. Um, And a lot of people like me who are ostensibly well-connected live in this kind of dynamic urban life of a a person working in whatever I was working in. And um, we need to bring these two worlds together because I felt like I didn't have community uh fred felt like he didn't have community but we obviously we built a friendship over the the months that ensued and 
um, that meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to him as well. So I built North London Cares in the first instance, thinking it would be me and 10 of my mates hanging out with 10 local older neighbors. And um, nearly 10 years later, um, we have five branches and 17,000 older and younger people have been involved. And, wow. Um, through dance parties and new technology workshops and amazing group activities and also one-to-one friendships just like mine and Fred's. So it's been an amazing kind of journey. So, you know, the initial startup, how did you connect with the, uh, the older people? You know, how did you, do, how did you make, how did you get people to come to the event, that first event? Well, we kind of, we started really with no trustees, no plan, no money, no strategy, no yeah. idea. Really. It was just that whole experience with Fred was I still tell that story because it's a microcosm of what we wanted to do mm-hmm. what I wanted to do at the time um, but I didn't really have the, the plan or the means or the programs or the mechanisms to be able to do yeah. it um, and um, we we actually started by doing a, a winter well-being project in partnership with uh, Islington Council which was the beginnings of how we developed uh, what is now our outreach program which is how we find the older people we work with um, and that includes door knocking particularly okay. on estates um, right. where there can be a lot of isolation um, but also in other areas as well working with pharmacies and GP surgeries and faith oh. groups, uh, speaking to people in betting shops and pubs and mm. paper shops you know the, the sorts of places that an older person might go to to buy a pint of milk and a loaf of bread and not really speak to anybody for the rest of the day Um, and slowly then through that outreach we built a kind of network of people who were interested in coming along to something yeah Um, and we listened to those people and they some of them said they wanted to watch films together and particularly with younger people and so we started a film club which was the first group we watched the king's speech oh amazing yeah um and then we moved that film club around a bit all over north london and i ended up watching the, the king's speech about uh, 10 times in, in oh, no. <laughs> um, and then we diversified that film club into a broader set of social clubs like the dance parties and back to work business visits and Eid parties and Halloween parties and summer parties and World Cup watch parties and um, oh, that's so fun visits. yeah you know what's funny is that um, I have the kind of great privilege and fortune of being able to speak about the cares family in a way that now 10 years later it feels like it was fully formed as an idea in those early days the reality is that we've listened to the older and the younger people who wanted to be part of it and so we've done what they thought they would like to do Um, and then in particular we attracted enough money to hire one member of staff and then two members of staff and then we built South London Cares and etc and it really is the staff team um, who, through listening to the older and younger people who wanted to be part of this, mm. who have brought the creativity and the ideas and the passion and the determination to um, experiment and innovate and try new ways of mm. attracting people to, to share time and still do. And um, it really is to their massive credit that they've been so constantly creative. And it really is to my massive detriment that I um, get to, uh, talk about it and celebrate it a lot with people like you so thanks for the opportunity yeah no but the thing is if you hadn't if you hadn't thought about the idea it wouldn't exist so it's incredible so i had a look at your website and it said our need for social connection is at the heart of what it is to be human um why do you think human connection is so important and at what point do you think 
it's kind of been lost and why? Um, well, the thing is, but I think one of the things, two of the things I suppose that make humanity or humans unique from other animal species is our ability and desire to be social with mm. others. Um, yeah. Of course, there are other animals that can do that as well, but we have we do it in a very the second thing is a very empathetic way. Yeah, we can experience other people's experience. Um, we can uh, feel compassion for one another. Mm. Uh, we can uh, find ways to share time that can feel entirely meaningless in the moment, but then when we reflect on it, because we also have an incredible memory. Yeah. Uh, uh, that we are the product of those experiences and those interactions with people that may start off as strangers, but that we come to love quite deeply. Um, and we love the experiences and those experiences, you know, come to be the stories of our lives and our existence. Um, but I think that increasingly over the last <clears throat> 40 years in particular, as the world has sped up and the pace of change in the world has sped up and technology has been more dominant in our everyday lives. And yeah, um, because of those trends that I mentioned before, globalization, gentrification, the way that our um, economy is set up um, to prioritize what's efficient and money-making and the bottom line over what's important, which really is our relationships and our experiences with one another. Yeah. Um, in that context, we have, um, we've kind of diminished the opportunity for those interactions, both shallow and meaningless and deep and meaningful. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you now buy a coffee from a machine instead of having a chat with somebody who might yeah. sell it to you. You now use a self-service checkout at a supermarket instead of saying hello to the person who would become familiar to you over time. Um, what really interests me is, is our association with <clears throat> kind of social infrastructure organizations um, and, and with our neighbors and the people who are around us. And in that fast-moving world, and cities in particular, which is why we focus our work in these cities. Yeah. Um, we have come to spend more time with the people who we are most immediately around, whether that's our work colleagues or our immediate families, but we've come to spend less time with people out there in the world and in the community. Yeah. Um, and just two stats to illustrate that. <clears throat> um, basically, the same, say the same thing. One is that 75% um, of people think that community is of fundamental importance to our individual and regional and national well-being. Yeah but almost exactly the same proportion don't participate in community themselves. The right. second is that 72% um, of people think that it's of fundamental importance to know your neighbours. Right. But 3%, again, almost exactly the same proportion, don't know their neighbours themselves. So there's like this, this British thing that's going on that we're passive with the thing that we consider to be most important to us, community. Yeah. yeah. Community. We're passive with it and we're allowing it to fray and we're allowing it to die. Um, and ultimately what that does, not just between generations, but out there in kind of wider demographic groups as well, and particularly as our society is becoming more multicultural, is that it chips away at our empathy for other people who are not mm. like us because mm. we're just spending more time with people who are like us. Yeah. Um, and that is expressed in our economy. So, you know, you, you go on a website and you buy a book instead of, as I just said, like instead of going to a shop and buying that book, yes. the website tells you, if you like this book, you'll also like this book. So we're narrowing our cultural experience to things that we already like. Yeah. And that is just kind of chipping away at our compassion for one another. And particularly 
our empathy and compassion for people who are not like us, who come from different life experiences or have different attitudes to us and different starting places from us. Mm. Best If isolation and that type of isolation is a gateway issue, not just into public health, into health problems, but also into abuse and addiction and educational inequality and class divides and race divides, then our philosophy really is that surely community yeah. is the to that isolation so do you think people need to make more of a conscious effort to come out of those comfort zones and how do you change mindsets well that is ultimately what we're now trying to get at with the cares family um yes. we feel that we've had a really strong impact on the lives of seventeen thousand older and younger people um but even if we doubled in size again over the next five years we'd still only be working with thirty thousand people yeah so ultimately, um, we know that if disconnection starts as a personal crisis and then is a public health crisis, because it leads to strokes and heart attacks. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, loneliness is one of the biggest killers, isn't it? This is bad for your health as smoking 15 yeah. cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also there's a political problem here, the one that I just described of us chipping away at empathy. Yes. If that's the case, then yes, we want to continue with our programs that help people on the individual personal level. But we also ultimately need to affect systemic and culture change. Yes. Um, and the best one of the ways that we're going to try and do that is to try and create a, a kind of ripple effect from our starting point of working with individuals yes. to encourage other people in their own communities to take on this challenge as well. Yes. Um, create their own ideas in their own communities in their own ways that are going to yeah. bring people side by side but don't interact together. Yeah. Um, we're kind of moving into an expanded space to try and encourage okay. more people to get what we think of as their five a day. Right. So for a long time, we've known that we should get five sets of fruit and veg a day. Yeah. Unfortunately, that doesn't include jelly tots, which I'm <laughs> going to presume it does. <laughs> but we now, I think it's important to encourage people to have five meaningful connections a day. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be just with your partner or your children or the people already around yeah. you. It be with a stranger right or it can be with the barber or it can be with um whoever it is that you meet at a bus stop um so we're going to try and to feel that connection okay that sounds really really interesting it's just giving me it's just making me think because um is it fear do you think it's fear why people what underlies it why don't people so you know uh, as you know i have events here in derby and i've tried to get diversity into those events and it is very very challenging mm -hmm. and it's you know i it's i'm still trying to get to the bottom of what it is why why people won't make a conscious effort to come together you know yeah i think it i think it's culture yeah i think in that culture probably is uh, kind of paradoxically, there is something human about finding your tribe. Um, uh, and I don't mean, you know, kind of uh, class, racial or religious tribe necessarily, although I think yeah. we are also segregating into those yeah. tribes as well. Um, but there is something comforting about being around other people who you can relate to because you have a shared experience. Yes. Um, actually, sharing an experience is one of the great ways that you can build a bond yeah. with someone. Um, but we don't just need bonds in the world. We need bridges as well. Yes. Um, bridges to people who are not like us. Yes. Uh, and I was going to ask you actually, because you, you do lots of work on well-being and connection, yes. and healing. Um, so what, like, what's your kind of experience of 
um, of bringing people together and, and creating that space where they can feel comfortable transcending divides that are perpetuated, by the way, in our media in particular. So what I find is that people watch from afar. So when I put my events out there, I use social media a lot, I get people watching, but actually making that step to come and participate is a lot more challenging. And, uh, and again, it's that same, um, I think a large part of it is class education. So you'll get people who are quite educated or have a certain worldviews that might be less fearful of coming out, but there'll be certain demographics which might feel, I mean, I had one, um, I had a mental health event. We had a panel discussion. One of the panelists was a bodybuilder and he brought a couple of friends and they said that they would never ever have the confidence to come to an event like that. They would never have had the confidence if, if he hadn't been part of it. So I think it's confidence, but there's still a lot of work to be done. A whole lot of work to be done, you know, because yeah, being British born Muslim Pakistani female in this city, I've got quite a lot of advantages on my side because I appeal to quite a diverse, I sort of appeal, but still getting those different groups together is still very, very challenging. You know what, though, there is a, a um, there's a bit of a dichotomy in my yeah. view between the fact that I think most people would say that. Um, there is richness in uh, diversity, yeah. richness in the human experience, but also then the reality between this notion that while we all think that our individual experiences are unique to us, yes, as individuals, again the reality is that we that humanity is universal, and the journeys that we go on through life are actually fairly limited, right? Because yes. the things that really matter to us when we reflect on our lives are. Yes love and loss, hope and heartbreak, and mischief and misadventure, right? And like everybody has, if, if you look through it through that prism, everyone has all of those experiences, mm. find them in different ways, they experience them in different ways. Um, but we need to find more spaces to be human with one another. Um, one of the things we often reflect on is that say we get, you know, um, in, one of, in one of our social clubs, for example, the Cares family, we get... Um, a management consultant, and I yeah. don't mean to denigrate in any way management consultancy, but yeah. for example, a management consultant who comes along uh, or, or who in their everyday working and personal life, you know, they get their currency from being a management consultant. Yeah. That they're at a wedding on a Saturday and the first question that they're asked is not how do you do like it used to be. <laughs> yes. What yes. Is what do you do? So they get currency from, oh, I'm a management consultant, or just to spread it out a bit, you know, I'm a tech consultant, or whatever yes. it might be. Um, and, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. Tell me about which firm do you work for? And then that, yeah. that is the start of the conversation. Yeah. And, that, and that, they derive their currency from that job in wherever it is that they live their lives and in their relationships. But then they come along and they hang out with, you know, a 95-year-old that has lived every experience that this universe has for them to live. And... You know, that young person doesn't get the currency of being a management consultant anymore. Doesn't mean anything in their relationship with that older person. No. 
because the older person sometimes doesn't know what that profession is. It didn't exist when they were younger. They're, they're not living in that world. They don't have that currency. So the young person has to put that to one side and has to, to um, re-raise the things that make them human in the first place. Yeah, so ego aside, hum humanity, yeah, that's it. Ego aside, labels aside. Labels right? aside, yeah. Whatever it is that you define yourself under that question, what do you do? Um, that is all put to one side. Yeah. And, in, and then you have to be funny or playful or uh, inquiring. Yes. Or yeah. flirtatious. Yes. Or, but for the most part, actually kind. Yeah. And, you and when, when you have to, when that young person that derives all of their currency from that label yeah. has to be one of those things that I mentioned, it re-raises their human empathy. And 100%. it does birth as well. Right, so the, yeah. the older person then is curious about that younger person. Oh, what did you do? Oh, you went to a wedding. Okay, and, and then they, so that bridge is built through the yes. conversation that they have. And while we have content, you know, I mentioned dance parties and desert island disc nights and those sorts of things, we have content. And even in our one-to-one -one relationships like mine and Fred's, we encourage that people play board games or they, if they can get out, then they'll go to a local cafe or something for a cup of tea. Yeah. It's not about the content. No, the opportunity to connect interaction, the human interaction. And I think that's another thing. I think we need to learn to ask questions mm -hmm. more and rather than volunteer information about ourselves. I mean, that's, that's a lost, that's almost like a, a skill that's been lost just to ask questions and listen, you know, to each other. Um, yeah and it's the key you know because if someone thinks that you're interested they're just going to warm to you instantly yeah yeah that's true and um the value of silence i think as well is amazing yes. um because sometimes you know there are awkward moments between yes. these generations that society somehow has segregated from one another yeah and people don't always know what to ask at first yes. And then there's the silence and then it takes a while and you get through the awkwardness and then again, right, we're quite passive and we're quite buttoned up in this culture. Um, but then you have the experience of the playfulness or the laughter or whatever it is and then you make the connection on the yeah. human level. Yeah. No, I love it. And I think, I think also, you know, I've always had older friends and I feel like the thing is the older you get, and I can speak from experience, you, the more inhibitions you lose. You don't care about the that you weren't scared about and so I always love a big around older people because I don't couldn't give a toss about some of the things we care about when we're like younger um and I find that so much fun you know so yeah I think it's great so um Alex just give us a few examples of you've given us a couple of examples of some of your projects but yeah give us a few more I'd love to know a bit more about you know Okay, well, so we, um, we've got four real big programs yeah. in family, and each one of these programs exists in each one of our locations. Um, uh, the first is the social clubs, which are group activities. Normally, uh, well, they can range from anywhere between about a small group is five younger people and five older people. A big group is up to 75 older people and 75 younger wow. people. Um, but they happen between 15 and 25 times a month in each one of our locations. Wow. We do hundreds over the year. And um, again, we try to be led by what older and younger people tell the team that they want to do, but they can include um, a box, a shadow boxing club in Manchester. Wow. Um, 
I emphasize the shadow. But where older and younger people get exercise together and then they sit down and they'll have a cup of tea together before and afterwards. Um, we do yoga in several of our locations. Mm. Again, older and younger people, and that's a very peaceful space for people to make that connection. Um, we're, there's a there's a, an amazing um, social club in Manchester with um, uh, a business called the Hip Hop Chip Shop. Um, oh, is, do you know it? No, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I want to know about it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I haven't been there yet, but um, this is like this kind of amazing community-minded business, which is a chip shop. Um, but they have, I think, kind of a hip hop paraphernalia around the place, and you know. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so we've got, uh, you know, we we've had uh, beatboxing classes, um, uh, all sorts of sports watch parties. Um, brick building is another one that I love. Uh, right. Um, I think it was like even a few years ago, we'd done a hundred different types of social club. And the program's always changing and rotating. Wow. So that one's, that, that's kind of amazing. And the, the energy that you get from the social club mm. is the sort of energy that anyone might get from a group dynamic. Right? Yes. So I guess the first thing to say is it's not for everybody because some people don't have the confidence to go into a big group. And that's why mm. we do lots of different sizes of lots yeah. of different things. Um, and the, the second thing is that it can be awkward, as I said before, when you first arrive and you, you don't know anyone at all. Yeah. But fortunately, we have a wide pool of older people and a wide pool of younger people. They're not always the same people who are there. So there's both always somebody um, at these social clubs who might be familiar, mm. but also new people to meet as well. And there's always new content, people learning from that content. Um, we had uh, actually recently an 86-year-old woman doing stand-up comedy for the first time ever. Love it. Yeah. Um, so the the... The, the social clubs kind of have that group dynamic. Um, yeah. Then there's the uh, Love Your Neighbour program is our second program. Um, right. That is the one-to-one -one program. So relationships just like mine with Fred. Um, yeah. People can have a bit more reflection, pause, storytelling. Older and younger people will get together often in the homes of uh, people who can struggle to get out. Okay. So the idea is that we bring some of the rapidly changing outside world in for people who can struggle to get out so that they can feel, feel part of that mm -hmm. world, not left behind by it. Um, and people will sit and have a natter, and a yeah. cup of tea. Sometimes they'll get a chippy supper in. Sometimes, <laughs> games. sometimes they'll cook together. Yeah. Um, sometimes they'll look at old photo albums together. There's a beautiful story in Liverpool um, of uh, an older woman who um, had become blind, she lost her sight. And so her younger neighbor asked her about her photo albums and then was able to articulate what was in the pictures. Oh, wow. Visualize them for the older person so that she could experience those memories again in a way that she otherwise wasn't able to. Oh, um, amazing. So just beautiful things like that. And we don't really put too much structure or framework or expectation around those relationships. We, we make an introduction, we yeah. safeguard carefully and we make sure that people are matched up in a way that is going to be interesting to both of them that can sometimes yeah. be that people are very proximately close in the same few streets yeah or it can mean that people come from a little bit further afield but actually you know they have shared interests or shared experiences um sometimes we match people who have completely different experiences and different political attitudes which can also be beautiful in its own way interesting as well. yeah <laughs> I'd love to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> Me too. In fact, well, once I was, and this kind of gets to the core of 
why we do what we do actually because it is about loneliness and it is about um the changing world and how we make connections across generations yeah in that world. um but it's also about attitudinal divides and intergenerational divides because through the eu referendum or various general elections over the last 10 years older people have been voted in one way and younger people largely mm. have been and that was very pronounced in the recent general election too um and so this this being a fly in the wall i was at a social club once and there was an uh, older woman uh kind of rooted in place hadn't traveled far hadn't yeah. been uh, like university educated but had lived a very very rich cultural yeah. and personal experience and who now is desperately lonely because she finds it difficult to get out. Right. And she was having a conversation with a younger woman in her 20s, very well educated, very well traveled, worked in the TV industry, I think. Um, and they were getting on swimmingly, they were laughing, they were joking, until all of a sudden the mood kind of changed. And the older woman said, do you know what? I don't approve of mixed race relationships. Oh. It was, and I saw this from afar and I was like, okay, I might need to intervene. Yeah. Yeah, but I just let it go a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the younger woman, to her massive credit, said in a really relaxed way, oh, that's a real shame because I'm in a mixed race relationship and he's lovely. And then the older woman uh, said, oh, I don't mean you, love. <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like a, a parody or a stereotype of these interactions, right? But this is why I talk about it because yeah. the older woman realized that in spite of her experiences, um, and the very narrow worldview from which she originated that actually when she thought about it and she made a connection on a human level that attitude had no place yes the younger woman realized maybe that this older person wasn't just a bigot who she just completely disagreed with and never wanted yeah. to speak to. she realized well they'd already been laughing and joking and getting unwell so maybe i should give her a chance and i don't know whether that older person changed her mind in time but i do know that she changed her behaviors because i subsequently saw her interacting amazingly with all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds wow. raising that type of issue again or that type of prejudice again um so i hope she changed her mind as well as her behaviors but it, it just gave me that example of um uh the kind of attitudinal uh, and cultural impact that bringing people from different life experiences together can have for both parties. That's incredible. It's really powerful and a lot of emotional intelligence on the on the young girl's part. You know, because yeah. she didn't she didn't get annoyed. She she sounded like she handled it really well. Yeah, and I, I can't talk specifically to that older and that younger person. Yeah, but, but what I can say is that like if you just read media headlines yeah. or you're just on Twitter all the time it would be quite easy as yeah. an older person to think all the young people are like this. Yeah. And they're self-obsessed and they're yeah. narcissistic and they're always on the internet and they promote a story of themselves that is, you know, just about a brilliant holiday and a great cocktail, you like, whatever it might be, right? Um, and younger people might think that older people are, uh, you know, um, uh, salting the earth behind them and they don't care about climate change and they're not, uh, they haven't had diverse relationships and yeah. uh, they voted a certain way and they're quite socially conservative and the reality actually is that the generations constantly surprise one another. Yeah. When they're together, yeah. just like in the family situation, although a lot of families are difficult and dysfunctional and the relationships aren't always beautiful, um, I, I don't think it's right in terms of what the media headlines say 
that you know like there's a war between the baby boomers and the millennials mm. which is headlines that appear time and time and time again mm. just because um some older people and there's a class element to this by the way but some older people may own homes and a lot of younger people don't yeah and it's a wealth and inequality as much as it does to age groups um or that some older people vote one way and some younger people vote the other way the reality is that in any small situation whether a family or a cares family social club or where people have the opportunity to share time across those perceived divides yeah connects on a human level yeah yeah absolutely absolutely no I, I agree i think once you're in front of each other it completely changes the dynamic it's just getting those people in front of each other um so alex you've you've sort of touched upon um the future of the um cares family so what what do you what is your wider vision like describe it in detail <laughs> well I think we're we're kind of searchers in yeah. the cares family, so I can't describe it in too much detail at the moment because yeah. we are into a moment where we've realised that if we want to achieve what we want to achieve, yeah. yes, we have to fundamentally prioritise the human-to-human connection through yeah. our project and what we do, but also we have to do some slightly more big-picture thinking, hence the, the working in systems change and culture change. Mm. Um, ultimately, I think the vision is if so if the analysis is that because of how the world is changing in its many different ways we're becoming less familiar with one another we're connecting less with one another and that is leading to isolation and that is leading to abuse and addiction and educational inequalities and and class divides and race divides and city town divides and north south divides and filter bubbles attitudinally if all of that stuff is happening then yeah. ultimately again we want to build communities to fix that yeah but locally relevant communities communities that are that are that are rooted in place. Mm-hmm. So we have the CARES family, which is our national model, but actually North London CARES, South London CARES, Manchester CARES, Liverpool CARES and East London CARES are actually separately registered local charities that are rooted in their locations and they behave differently as a result of that. Mm. Um, so we want to be rooted in place with all of our solutions. We want all of our pro- new projects and programs to be mutually beneficial to both uh, sets of people that come across those divides mm. and send those divides so we'd never create a service or have clients or beneficiaries where there's like a giver and a receiver yeah, yeah. Um, um so ultimately whether it's through our new 3g project where we're br- bringing older people new parents and their very young children together or whether it's through our new multiplier project where we're going to identify brilliant people doing great things in their own communities in their own ways and help them to find the scale that is appropriate for them yeah that is appropriate for them and help to share some of our experience and build a network of people doing this brilliant stuff whichever new programs we are working on ultimately the vision is about trying to make um the country a little better connected across those emerging divides Mm. a little more empathetic or empathic um, across those divides to get more people to experience lives that are not like theirs in order yeah. to raise community. ultimately in effect to make britain less passive about community because we know that it values it and we know that it's passive with it yeah and also to try and make the country a bit kinder and to make yeah. culture kinder and to yeah. make systems kinder systems currently uh, oppress relationships in lots of different ways like you know if you pick up the phone to the council and it's press one to listen to green sleeves yeah. and press two to speak to somebody thousands of miles away yeah. that feels 
uh, alien and remote and it doesn't feel mm. close connected or that you're actually having any sort of human contact at all yeah. so we want to work with uh, local communities to raise the stories of brilliant people doing brilliant work already and put yeah. a spotlight on that we also then want to work with power whether that's local authorities national government big mm. business big foundations and big charities to get them to prioritize relationships and yeah. effectively to rebalance that thing that i talked about earlier our, our economy right now prioritizes what's efficient over what's important yeah ultimately our mission is to try and rebalance that so that we're prioritizing what's important i.e our relationships with one another yeah. over what's in this economy that we've created so it's a big ambition yeah it's a big ambition but a great one we basically want to reverse that poster that said keep calm and carry on um and we want to make a new poster. what's your slogan then <laughs> we don't really have a slogan yet <laughs> we want to like I think, I think that's part of the problem, right? This poster that we glamorized that says, keep calm and carry on, yeah. even when it's catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, if we're not nurturing the thing that we value the most, community, then we need to nurture it. We need to invest in it. Um, so we need a new slogan that's like, get angry and change things or something. Disrupt. Right. Connect, connect with one another and that's going to change society. Maybe it's idealistic. I don't know, but... Um, uh, we've already hopefully demonstrated enough that but even though we had no plan, no trustees, no money and no ideas, we've come this far. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, working with lots of other great partners, by the way, um, we've got a bit further to go and more to do. Amazing. And that goes on to my next question, which is that you are, you are also a fellow of the Obama Foundation, yeah. which is massively inspiring, especially because I know firsthand some of our listen, listeners, I had a book club for about, three months and um everyone um read michelle obama's book so we're big fans can you share some of your experiences with the foundation well i have to say to my eternal shame that i have not yet read michelle obama ah! <laughs> so, uh, shame on you <laughs> I, know, right? um, I do intend to on the on, in the unlikely chance that she's listening to this i don't know what's your, what's your <laughs> how far do you get with this podcast maybe she how is far? I'll get, I, I will get to it. That is my promise to both of you. My dream her. is to get to her. So <laughs> that's um, my vision. Yeah. You know what? Like, so the, the, um, I was uh, ridiculously fortuitous and privileged to be one of 20 inaugural Obama fellows selected from 21,000 applicants in the wow. first year we did it. Um, when was that, Alex? 2018. Okay, not long ago. Yeah, and um, uh, although the kind of involvement with the foundation and, and the title of being a fellow is a lifetime privilege, um, yeah. uh, there's a two-year intensive programmatic part of it, which yeah. I'm now six months um, away from finishing. Um, and that has involved being in the US quite a bit, sharing time and experience with the other amazing 19 fellows from all over the world who are doing yeah. things restorative justice and uh, making sure that the voices of people in rural America are uplifted because that voice is so often forgotten. Right. Doing uh, educational equity um, with and for people of colour in the US uh, or people who are creating amazing um, anti-corruption programs in Europe and in Mali and people are doing educational stuff in the Philippines. And so this wow, is an amazing to be story. around that. Yeah. And the love between the 20 of us is quite deep and quite rare, I think. Um, and that's because we were the first people into this program where we had this 
amazing experience that was incredibly well structured in order for us to bond that included like you know a day of learning uh the 20 of us and Brene Brown hanging out and uh, uh, another you know, badass lady absolutely <laughs> amazing. she she was with us for like a whole day and she I barely saw her touch a drop of water I barely saw her take a breath or, or a break um she empathized deeply with everybody in that room and she recognized them she saw them she heard all of us um wow. she could she knew all of our work like the back of her hands wow. she seemed to she's just she knew how to connect with people and she you know so we had an experience that was all about how do we build our teams how do we connect and be vulnerable and courageous with the people who matter most to us in our lives in order to achieve this social mission that we all have. Oh, wow. um, we had a day with Barack and Michelle Obama um, where we talked all about, you know, what it takes to lead um, and the difficulties and the challenges associated mm. with that. Um, and in particular, one of the messages that um, we've experienced again and again is the importance of self-care, which I know is something you're interested in as Massive. well. <clears throat> yeah. So it's been a, a, a kind of rare privilege. Um, yeah. And it's one of the things, although I'd had the idea of expanding the CARES family's vision to these other new programs before I was part of the fellowship, definitely the profiling opportunities and the connections that we've made yeah. and the support that we've had um, to avoid burnout our, ourselves in this moment of opportunity, effectively yeah. and potential, um, all of that support and that nurturing of me and the other fellows has has been one of the things that's gotten us to a place where you know we're not only North London cares anymore we're not only one member of staff anymore we do now have a budget we do now have trustees we do now have a strategy and it's bigger and better than it ever was two or three years ago um so yeah it's been an amazing experience oh wow Alex you are such an inspiration <laughs> so are you, do you know what? <laughs> we met serendipitously at Oval <laughs> Station I remember that day. <laughs> I just I felt that the work that you're doing is brilliant and important, and um, uh, it was a good event um, that was all about crossing divides specifically. Yes. initiative for people in communities to cross divides, and um, I've looked into your work a little bit more, especially since you were, um, happily invited me to speak on the podcast. And um, I love kind of I love well I need to get this right because of what I've just said, but I love who you are as well as what you do. Oh, very open with your experiences. And I think more people need to hear that. Well, I think it's because of my openness that is I've, I've managed to um, filter through to people. I think mm. when you close, you know, people, there's nothing to go on. So, you know, when you're transparent, it gives other people the confidence to open up about their adversity as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. More strength. Yeah. I think you're doing some great things. Oh, Grateful for you sharing that with me and other people. And grateful for you. <laughs> right, let's, let's e right, less ego stroking now. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> right. So how can people find out more about the CARES family and you, Alex? Ooh, um, <laughs> how can they find out more about the CARES family? Uh, visit www.thecaresfamily.org.uk. Um, we have um, quite a strong Twitter and Facebook yes. and um, Instagram pages um uh they're actually all local so if you're in manchester then visit the manchester cares website twitter and facebook if you're in liverpool then go to the liverpool i'm, I'm sorry to say that we don't yet have birmingham cares um but it might happen at some amazing point. derby cares derby cares <laughs> uh, any of the midlands cares 
you know, but but we want to encourage other people to do it in their own communities in their own ways. Which yeah. you and I hopefully will have more conversations. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like the social media is, and we try and make the social media as natural, authentic, and yeah. inspiring through positive shared stories of older and younger people sharing time and new experiences. So even if you don't want to get involved, it's just a place to go to and feel some of that warmth of a yeah. the sort of future that we could imagine, right? Of communities from different experiences sharing love with one another. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Alex. It's a pleasure. I appreciate um, you inviting me on and let's hang out soon. Yeah, definitely. So that was Alex Smith from the Cares family. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. And to keep up to date with all of our latest news, follow our page, The Trailblazers Journey on Instagram. I look forward to bringing you more fabulous guests in the future. So until next time.